Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Today's episode of Channel 33 is brought to you by SeatGeek, the presenting sponsor for my podcast, as well as the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. With just two taps on your phone, you can instantly buy SeatGeek tickets to an event, and you can enter that event just using your phone. No paper tickets. Drop your old ticket app. Use one that's built for 2016. Download the free SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. And now, without further ado, here is the masked man, David Shoemaker. Welcome to the Masked Man Show. Today we got WWE Universal Champion Kevin Owens on the show, brought to you by WWE 2K17. Go out and buy a copy now. You can yeah, you can play Goldberg, you can play Brock Lesnar, but most importantly, you can play as this guy that we have on the line right now, Kevin Owens. Thank you so much for being on the show, man. Congratulations. The past uh the past well, the past year, but the past couple of months have been incredible for you. How are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. I've uh, been under the weather now, so my voice might be a little raspy. Uh, we just came back from a pretty grueling European tour, but uh, uh, everything's going pretty good, as you said. Uh, I really can't complain besides uh, being a little sick here. What <clears throat> the? Uh, I, I, you probably can't put into words the ways that your life has changed over the past year or so. But what? But just specifically since you've been champion, I mean, you're you're headlining all across Europe for WWE now. Like, what is the? Are, does it feel like an out of body experience, or is this? I mean, have you have you gotten used to it yet? I mean, it's always going to be pretty surreal for me. Even if you know, at this point, I've been champion for a little over two months, and uh, I've maintained. You know WWE shows pretty much since the moment I came up on the on the main roster, or even when I started NXT. Really, uh, you know, so like that stuff. Uh, I guess you could assume that it not that it gets old, but that you get used to it, right? And I'm sure some guys do. But I'll always I've always been such a huge fan. Uh, even you know after I started my career, um, that it, it won't ever really uh, set in. Completely, I guess. Like, there's always moments I'll catch myself every couple of every couple of days, you know, uh, looking back on the whole thing and thinking that I'm really, I'm really, you know, at the top of WWE shows uh, as a champion representing the company and going all over the world as the champion. It's, it's, it's something that won't get lost on me for sure. That's good to hear. Um, on a, on a human level, I mean, you traveled the world before you were part of WWE. What is the well, for, for you know, for the listeners out there, what, what's the difference between uh, traveling the world as a as an indie wrestler and and traveling and, and going through Europe as a, as part of WWE? As an indie wrestler, you do everything on your own. You know, you're on the flight by yourself mostly. You're 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 selling your own merchandise. You're 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 setting up your own bookings. Obviously, you're you're doing everything on your own. Uh, you know, uh, and it's very nece- it's it's very fulfilling, but it's also very necessary if you want to keep moving forward. And, you know, my goal was always to get to WWE. And uh, I think I would say that's correct. That's the same goal that 95% of independent professional wrestlers have. And so, you know, traveling the world and getting your name out there as much as you can is is, is crucial in achieving that goal eventually. Uh, obviously, getting to travel the world with WWE, uh, you know, there's a couple differences. We always go as a group. You know, for one thing, you're with the whole roster for the entire time you're on tour, uh, that can, you know, that has a, it, its positives and its negatives. Uh, you know, I, I get along with everyone on the roster, and it's 
I, I obviously have people I'm closest, I'm closer with than others, but I really get along with everyone, and, and, and it's good to share that. Uh, you know, it's good for the uh, the family ish feel that you want to have on your roster. You know, traveling together, being on a bus together, being on a plane together. That's good for the roster itself. But I'm also a pretty uh, I'm a kind of a, a lone wolf, not to. Uh, have Baron Corbin come after me for stealing his nickname, but you know I, I like I like being on my own sometimes, and that doesn't happen as much when you're on tour with uh, you know 40 other people. So uh, there's uh, pluses and minuses, but as far as traveling the world with WWE itself and the fans are obviously uh, crazy everywhere we go, and that's always cool to see. And uh, you know it's just a it's a very different kind of experience. Uh, than the one that is traveling as an independent wrestler, but both are both are very uh, very fulfilling. And you know, as a, as a wrestler, you kind of have to look both uh, to get the feel of them. All right, I gotta ask since you were going there. Let's just say you have one afternoon and you have to go like visit the Eiffel Tower in Paris. You get to take two of your comrades with you, two other wrestlers. Who do you take and why? Uh, Big Cass is definitely uh, one of them. Um, we travel pretty much everywhere together. Uh, we're pretty much always together. And the other one would be uh, Finn Balor. Of course, he's not around so much lately uh, due to his injury, but, uh, you know, they're, they're the two uh, they're the two top guys in my crew, if you will. You know, they're the guys I'm the closest with. And, uh, but there's, you know, there's a lot of other names I could say. Uh, if you ask me to do those, would probably be the top. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. The, um, you know, you talked about growing up a fan Let's. I want to take a little bit of a quick trip through uh, through your your career and your history. But what was the who was your favorite wrestler growing up? And what was the who was the who was the wrestler that made you you think uh, really want to get into it? So I had a couple favorite wrestlers. I guess like my first favorite wrestler ever was the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, because uh, first the first WWE show I ever saw was a VHS tape of WrestleMania 11 that my dad had uh, had done, and so the first match was. Um, the Allied Powers was Lex Luger and Baby Boy Smith against the Blue Brothers. And I immediately, for some reason, loved the British Bulldog. Like, just the way he looked, the way he wrestled, the way he carried himself, I was like, this guy's cool. Then, like, eight matches later, I saw Shawn Michaels, and he stole, uh, he stole the top spot because at the time, I was a pretty small kid, pretty scrawny for my age. And to see a guy of that stature wrestle at the level he did against basically giants, really inspired me and that's the match that made me say I want to be I want to do this for a living I want to be a WWE superstar uh, and then you know later on Stone Cold Steve Austin came along and I became as cliche as that might sound I really think I was one I was the biggest Stone Cold Steve Austin fan on the planet my room my entire room from and I know that's again you know that's a figure of speech right my room is uh, like floor to ceiling Steve Austin posters that's not a figure of speech for me it was literally floor to ceiling every wall Stone Cold Steve Austin
What was your? I know that you trained. Uh, I guess a, at the it was at the Jacques Rougeau school, but you trained with Terry Taylor a lot. Um, but but take me through a little bit those first, you know, five or even ten years of of working the indie scene. Were there were there were there wrestlers that you remember seeing on tapes in your childhood that you got to get in the ring with or at least share a card with? That like what were what were some of your earliest memories of of kind of crossing paths with 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 other wrestlers? Well, so for the first three years, I uh, you know I started training when I was 14 years old in the barn back home with a local wrestler uh, named Chef Joblin. He's a pretty good wrestler. He never really uh, you know never really made really made it big as far as uh, you know he he wrestled for WWE a couple times uh, as an enhancement talent or anything, but he never really made it big outside of of Quebec as far as I know anyway. But he was a very solid guy, a real good guy. Unfortunately, I was only able to train with him for about a month before his his, uh, his training school shut down. It took about a year and a half uh, until I found another wrestling school, and that was Jacques Rougeau's school that was opening up in Montreal. So I started with him when I was 15. I had my first match for his promotion because uh, he also ran shows when I was 16 years old on my 16th birthday, actually. From that point on until 2003, um, I only wrestled for Jacques Rougeau because the way he would do things is... Uh, he would have shows every three or four months in front of, you know, two, three thousand people in big arenas because his name, uh, you know, is like the Rougeau name uh, in Quebec. It, when you hear Rougeau, you think wrestling, obviously. Or if you hear wrestling, you think Rougeau. That's how big the Rougeau name is in Quebec. Uh, so, you know, he was able to draw some pretty big crowds. Um, but because he, he drew these crowds, he wasn't comfortable with his, his students or his trainees or whatever you want to call it, wrestling for other smaller independent companies across the province. So for the first three years, I only wrestled for his shows, and all I knew from the way the business worked, at least from what I thought it worked, was from what he was teaching us. Uh, eventually, I decided to like branch out on my own because I, I had a couple of my, my friends that trained with him that left to go wrestle other places. They were wrestling in front of maybe 100 or 200 people, but they were having the time of their lives, and they were doing it every week. So I eventually got fed up and uh, decided to go out on my own, and I realized that the way he was teaching us was completely wrong. He was training us to wrestle the way he wanted us to wrestle on his shows. But that's not how you wrestle. Uh, you know, that's not how you know, like. It's just not how you do it. It's just not how it works outside of his little bubble. So I basically had to kind of retrain myself, and I managed to do that just wrestling as many times as I could everywhere I could in Quebec. Eventually, uh, through IWS, which is a company in Montreal, we got a bit of attention. CZW brought us over to the U.S. Uh, Jersey also brought us over to the U.S., and eventually we made contact with the PWG guys from through that. We ended up generico, and I ended up going to PWG, and everything kind of uh, snowballed into where I am today. So when you're out there as an indie wrestler, I mean, there, I know you wrestled for just about everybody in the in the world uh, over the span of you know 15 years. Uh, how do you? I mean, do you just learn about other promotions from like word of mouth? They contact you. Like, I, I, it just seems like it's so much to try to wrap your brain around as a you know, as basically a kid trying to make a career out of it. Yeah. So you know, like I said, I wrestled for Rujo at first, and I really didn't pay any attention to <clears throat> independent wrestling because. I didn't know any better. You know, I had Jacques Rougeau, who, for all I knew, was a reliable, trustworthy person in the business telling me, wrestle for me for a couple of years, and when you're ready, I'll send you to WWE, and I'll talk to WWE for you. I was like, oh, that's great. Little did I know that his actual influence or, 
our contacts with WWE were very minimal at the time. And, uh, you know, I hate to say this, but it's not exactly viewed the like the, the people don't view him. It's all not, it's not all positive, you know? but I didn't know that back. I was just a kid trusting somebody who was telling me, trusting someone who had a lot of experience in the business, uh, telling me, you know, you'll be fine. I'll, I'll take care of you when it's done. I was like, oh, okay, good. Especially with time, I saw that that wasn't the case, and I started kind of paying attention to what my friends were doing, the ones that had left Rujo's, uh, you know, school to go and see what else was out there. And they were wrestling for places like IWS and, uh, you know, other smaller promotions all over the province. And they were having such a good time. I decided I want to do that. And then through them, I discovered, you know, Ring of Honor and, and CZW and, and all the other places, and PWG and all the other places in the U.S. where, you know, they were saying, oh, we'd like to wrestle there one day. I remember PWG specifically, uh, a couple of the guys talking about, like, oh, they have pretty, you know, they have really creative names for their show. It's in California. It seems really cool. Uh, Super Dragon, uh, you know, the guy who runs that place. And we, you know, we're hoping to wrestle there one day. And I had no idea what it was. But a year later, Miracle and I were on our show. Just, uh, you know, because of how things worked out with CZW and Jersey Offro. You know, so I kind of found out through all these independent companies through my buddies, really. And then once I got it, and, you know, once I started referencing CZW and Jersey Offro and PWG, you meet people that tell you about other companies. And it just kind of becomes a whole thing. And, uh, you just kind of, you know, make your own little network. And, uh, you know, I wrestled, like you said, I wrestled pretty much everywhere. Uh, I mean, everywhere that I wanted to wrestle at, I, I got the, the, the chance to perform at. So that's pretty cool because uh, it, it's a nice little notch on my belt to become a WWE that I managed to hit every independent professional wrestling company that I, I wish to work for. Yeah, I mean, I saw you wrestle uh, a few times uh, in, in New York with with Ring of Honor. Um of course, there was you know the 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 story that you were part of there with Cornette was that uh you know that he didn't want you to be champion and and there's obviously there's you know there's been stories about that that have kind of come up through the the rumor mill throughout your career. Would you feel like? But you also did get to wrestle everywhere you wanted to wrestle. So like, did you feel like there were people that looked at you and said, "This guy's you know not gonna is not not worth the time"? Or I mean, did you always feel like there was an opportunity if you made it for yourself? Yeah, I mean, there's always people that doubted me for sure. Uh, and I, I understand it. No, I don't really hold that against them. Uh, the thing with Cornette is kind of different, though, because I don't. I think at first he really didn't want anything to do with me at all. And uh, me, or Generico, or Karina, or Cabana. I know that for a fact because people that were with him at the time when he took over the company, when he took Ring of Honor over, told me that that as much. Of course, he would never tell us that to our face. But it was obvious what he was trying to do until. You know, I was good friends with Terry Silken, who, who was the owner of Ring of Honor at the time, and he promised me that he, like, I, I could see the writing on the wall, so I'd make him promise me that he wouldn't let Jim Cornette just get rid of me. And uh, even though I did this thing where, you know, I left Ring of Honor for a year after losing to Generico, uh, I knew I had Terry Silken, uh, you know, making sure that I, I would get to come back. So I think at one point Cornette just had to accept that he was going to have to take me back, and he did. And once he accepted that, we did do some good stuff together. We had, I actually had a lot of fun with him, working with him, doing promos with him, and stuff like that. Uh, I guess the bad blood between us kind of started after he left because I, uh, I was kind of vocal about some of the stuff that I didn't agree with uh, that he would do or the way he saw, uh, you know, wrestling or how he saw what Ring of Honor should have been at the time. And he really didn't take kindly to that. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think Jim was ever against me, per se. I know he said some pretty negative things about me. Uh, 
but it doesn't drive me. Like, people assume that it drives me to prove wrong and this and that, and it really hasn't. People can say whatever they want about me. I kind of always knew I would end up here. Uh, you know, I always had a lot of faith in myself, and ultimately, I was right. So whoever, you know, whatever people had, had a different opinion, that's fine. It never bothered me. It never drove me to prove them wrong. It was never like a motivational thing. Uh, I just kind of knew they were wrong, and I, you know, I could live with that no problem. Well, let's talk a little bit about what motivates you. I, I mean, those two, the, the two memories of you that I have, I think I was there the night that you came back from your year-long d- absence, but the, my two memories of you at, there at the, at the Hammerstein were uh, the last ladder war with Generico and then your match with Carino where you, uh, where you superplexed him into the, the, uh, the barrier, the, the ringside barrier was in the ring. And I've talked about it on my, on my podcast before. That's, that spot is the scariest spot I've ever seen in real life just because the, the legs of those things were sticking up in the air. Um, so talking about motivation, like how do you gear up? How do you get in the headspace to have a match like, like that match with Carino or like a ladder war? I mean, I, I, I don't think, like I don't do anything special. I just... Uh... Like to prepare for those kind of matches, I, I to me those kinds of matches are just the same as any match where there are no weapons involved or anything like that. I, uh, I I'm not uh, I'm not intimidated by the aspect of you know getting hurt because there's a table, there's guardrail, there's chairs. I find those things make uh, make for a fun match. So I, anytime I get to use them, I'm more than happy to, to put that to use. Uh, and you know, most more than anything. It's the trust I have in myself and in my opponent uh, to know that we're both going to come out on the other side uh, healthy and uh, hopefully happy. And, uh, you know, I can't think of a, a time where that hasn't happened. Uh, as, as as risky as uh, some of the stuff I've done has been, I, I always manage to walk away from those matches, uh, you know, bruised up, banged up, of course, but... Uh, I'm with my, I would say not any more so than any 20, 30 minute match where there are no weapons. What we do is incredibly demanding physically, whether you fall to the table or not. Uh, this is a rough, uh, this is a rough uh, way to make a living, and uh, you know we just accept that. So uh, I guess that's just how my mindset for every match, regardless of what that involves. The WWE schedule has to be a little, has you know more demanding on a day to day basis. Although the travel might be better, I mean the, the the conditions might be a little bit better. But when you're talking about the physical toll, what's the like the the weekly rehab schedule like? Well, so the thing about WWE is we wrestle more often, but we are in fact taken care of a lot better than independent promotions, just by the fact that we get to wrestle in a, a safe, secured ring. You know, like the rings are always top-notch, there's never uh, a board missing, and there's never a hole somewhere, there's never a rope that's too loose. So just that is great for our bodies, because I don't, I can't tell you how many rings I've wrestled in on the independent that were terrible and dangerous and, you know, a real hazard to work in. Uh, but not only that, you know, we have trainers here, we have doctors uh, at every single show. Uh, we have massage therapists, uh, you know, if we need before the shows, like, they take great care of us, and even though the schedule, uh, as far as how many times I wrestle a week, is uh, is more demanding than what I had on the independence, I, after 16 years of doing this, I can only say my body feels better uh, than it did when I was on the independence, uh, and that's a lot. A lot has to do with the, the, the that has a lot to do with the resources that WWE, uh, you know, gives us at the shows, whether it's the doctor, or the trainer, or uh, you know. Uh, Chiropractors that we have at the shows and stuff like that. 
uh, or just the fact that the rings are safe and uh, we work with good equipment. You know what I mean? So I, I feel better now than I than I ever have really in my career. Of course, I have you know little bumps and bruises everywhere. That's everyone does. There's no way around that. But uh, right now, I I feel like I could do this for another ten years, no problem. You know. That's that's good. That's that's good to hear. Um, Speaking of differences between the Indies and WWE, I mean, the the thing that I always end up talking to my friends about is when I go see a great indie show is how cool the venue feels, right? I mean, the Hammerstein Ballroom is great. PWG is just a once-in-a-lifetime sort of experience. Um, I actually just saw this NXT show here in L.A., um, and it was at a really cool—they've they've been running NXT at some really cool venues. Like, what is the— as someone who's been in front of every size crowd, like what's the difference between being in a great, uh, in front of a great indie crowd and like a, and a big basketball arena? Well, there's some venues that we hit that are, uh, like venues that I'll, that I always want to wrestle in, you know, like the all state arena in Chicago or Staples center in LA, or obviously Madison square garden. Those, you know, wrestling in those places, uh, is unbelievable without even thinking about the fact that there's, 12, 13, 14, 15,000 people in there, you know, or whatever it is. Uh, so, you know, you can't really compare that to any TV show. That's that's something like, it's just incredible. Or, you know, WrestleMania had 100,000 people there. You can't, there's no way to describe that feeling. Um, but I've had moments on the independence, uh, especially in PWG, because that building, like you said, is very unique. It only fits about 450 people. But they pack it in every single time where it's standing room only and people are standing on practically on top of each other and everyone's there to have a good time. It's very rare that you'll have anybody at the PWG shows that's there to just be, uh, be a jerk and not enjoy what they see. Everybody wants to enjoy what they see. Everybody's uh, excited to be there, and it makes for a really special atmosphere. Uh, and it's, it, it was always great. It's always something, you know, I, I haven't been there in a couple of years, obviously, but that was always something I, I, I look forward to, you know. Because uh, sometimes you'll do some shows on the independence where there's only about 100 people and they're not particularly excited to be there. And that's kind of that's kind of rough, honestly. It's not always fun, you know. But you always had PWC to look forward to. Uh, but, I, I, you know, it'd be hard to say that uh, any any anything could be compared to the feeling I had when I walked out of WrestleMania or, or at my first Madison Square Garden show. You know, those are really uh, very special moments. And there are things that I, you know, I imagined and pictured and, and played through in my head for for years. So for, you know, when I was got to actually stand there and, and do it for the first time, it's, it's pretty proud. Yeah, I mean, t- talking about the fans, uh, you know, at the various levels of uh, of wrestling, I mean, you seem to have, especially looking at the guys on the WWE kind of main event scene right now, you seem to have a sort of relationship with the fans that's different than everybody else. I mean, you you know, a lot of people are booing you, but I think just as many people are, or may- let's say maybe they're respectfully booing you. You know, they're 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 kind of in their they're 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 along for the ride with you, and it really seems like you kind of have them in the palm of your hands in a certain way where like you could be getting cheers if you wanted them, but you can control the sort of interaction that you have. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really sort of wonderful to watch. Do you have a, do you have a philosophy? Do you have, do you have any techniques? What's your feeling about that? I don't think I have techniques or anything like that. I do think I, I have a pretty good connection with the crowd almost everywhere I go. Um, and I don't know why that is. I think it's just something I've developed through, through time. 
you know, uh, I have this ability, and, you know, other people have it too. I'm not saying I'm, I'm special for it or anything like that, but if I'm in the middle of a match and someone from the fifth row yells something, I'll hear it. Like, I, I, it's weird. I can hear things that other people don't necessarily get to hear. Like, I'll, I'll hear a fan heckle me, you know, and, and I'll answer right away. Or I, It's just something I, I, I do, and I, I really don't know where it comes from. I don't know what it is. Uh, but I, I know that that's a, a, an aspect of, of my uh, my persona that a lot of people enjoy, whether it's to you know to cheer cheer that or do it, whatever. But I think uh, a lot of people enjoy how vocal I am during my matches. And, uh, I think that all started when Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, told me to you know run my mouth as much as I could when I, I met him at an airport. You know, several years ago, I've told that story many times. I met him at an airport when I was on my way to a PWG show back in 2005, and of course, as I said at that point, I considered myself the biggest Tom Cruise Steve Austin fan in the world, so I had to talk to him. And he gave me that piece of advice, and it really changed my career, because I immediately put it to work. Uh, you know, that very weekend when I was in that match with PWG, I, I started running my mouth, not only before the match or after the match, but in the match. And I think that, uh, you know, that's very appealing to a lot of people, because it's kind of different. And I've actually... Uh, not to toot my own horn, but I feel like I've kind of started a very uh, like a lot, I've noticed more and more wrestlers, whether it's in WWE or even on the independents, doing that. Now I'm not saying that it's because of me, but I definitely feel like I'm at the forefront of it I, I, as somebody who's been doing it for a very long time. Uh, and there's been more of a spotlight shined on it. You know, I started with WWE. Um, as far as cheering or booing me goes, I really feel like people can do what they want. Um, I. I I always, um, like when I was watching wrestling, I never considered who was a good guy or who was a bad guy and whether or not I should cheer or boo them. I would react like I, I loved some of the bad guys and I despised some of the good guys. But I also loved a lot of the good guys and despised a lot of the bad guys. I just responded however they, they reached me. Uh, what I do... My philosophy is I just want to, I want to have fun. And I, I kind of try to cater to myself when I was a kid. Like I, if I do stuff or if I say something or if I do something in a match, I'm kind of trying to think, would Kevin, when he was 15 years old watching WWE, would Kevin have enjoyed that? Would that have entertained him? Would that have made him boo or cheer? And if the answer is yes, then I'm going to do it. And then the fans respond appropriately, however that calls out to them, you know? Some things I do can make one person boo me out of the building and make somebody else cheer. Uh, but I want noise. Like, I've said this before. The most incredible reaction I've ever heard in WWE so far is uh, any show I was wrestling John Cena at. Uh, I would come out first. And when they're standing in the middle of the ring and his music hits, you get hit by a ton of, of cheers. You get hit by just as many boos. Uh, and it makes for this incredible noise. Just, it's hard to put into words. It's like a wave of just noise. It's not, it's not one or another. It's just a crazy reaction. And I remember thinking so many times when that would happen, I want that. That's what I want. That's what I'm working for. So if people are split down the middle, I don't really mind. As long as they're making a lot of noise and they're being very loud, that's what I'm looking for. So uh, that's a good segue. I appreciate that into your into your uh, main roster run in WWE. When you get the when when you get the word that you're getting called up, does it, or do they tell you right off the bat you're getting in the ring with John Cena? And then do they once you find out you're in the ring with John Cena, they do they tell you we're thinking about this being a, a few months long feud? I mean, how, what what was the what did you find out? How did that get? How did that happen? 
well, I was at NXT. Uh, well, NXT started doing uh, outside, like, uh, you know, shows outside of Florida, um, right, like in the summer of 2015. So uh, I remember I was on my way. I was on the group fight with everybody. Um, about to fly to, I believe it was, might have been Philly. I'm pretty sure it was Philadelphia in May of 2015. And I got a, an email saying, hey, by the way, you're not coming home. Uh, you're not coming home with everybody on Sunday. You're staying for Raw. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Of course, I started asking Matt Bloom about it, the head coach, and he didn't know anything. Or did he? You know, he, he played dumb, I guess. I'm like, all right, well, I guess we'll see what happens. And then uh, that night, Triple H took me aside and told me, well, um, you're getting called up, which I'll never, uh, I'll really never forget that moment. Uh, because to me at that point, I didn't know, you know, when I signed with WWE, that's something else I've said before. I was told not to get my hopes up about being on Raw or SmackDown or the main roster. You know, I was told I would be given a chance in NXT like everyone else. But obviously, the way I look, just like that, you know, you might not ever get on the main roster. Who knows? But I was told not to get my hopes up. I saw that as a bit of a challenge. Uh, but then, you know, here I was about eight months later, or maybe a little more than that, but, you know, a relatively short period of time after that, and I was told I was getting called up. And, uh, you know, that's like, I, I feel like almost time stood still. Uh, and then, you know, he went up to say, we're starting on Raw this Monday. Uh, we're doing something with John Cena. Uh, that's all he, he had at the time. Uh, everything else, you know, was just kind of up in the air. But uh, it was really surreal to um, hear, but also made complete sense to me. Uh, I remember thinking later on that that's exactly where I belong. I belong on Raw. I belong with John Cena because that's that's where I view myself. So it was, uh, it was really cool to get that validation, I guess, that, you know, I knew that's where I should, that I knew that's where I belong. And yeah, they told me, don't get my hopes up, but I had my hopes because I knew I had faith in myself. A couple months later, uh, you know, I, I, I was proven right. So that was, you know, pretty cool. So, uh, I mean, I guess that the validation just, you know, continues, um, you were, uh, I mean, you're you're walking around with the Universal Championship belt right and right now, and and um, you know, you mentioned Finn Balor earlier as being one of your one of your friends, and and obviously your um, your ascent to the title kind of coincided with him getting getting the belt, but then getting hurt and having to drop it. What um, you know, how does that how does that thing sort of go down uh, between buddies backstage, or how you know how do they how did you you know again find out that that you were getting put in this position? Well, you know, I, I knew. Uh... When Finn was wrestling for the Universal title, me and Finn got very close. We had never met before we got to WWE together. Um, we met one a few months before we both reported to Florida, and at that time, at that point, we already knew we were both coming to WWE. We had never spoken to each other, never met, or we had maybe met at an indie show here and there, but you know, nothing above high. You know, we didn't, we hadn't talked, so we kind of gravitated towards each other uh, because we knew we were about to be in the same, you know, kind of on the same ride together. And we ended up becoming very close. Uh, and, you know, for the whole time I was on the main roster, I was thinking, how come, you know, what, what, what's, what's, what's taking so long? Why isn't Finn coming, you know? And, and Finn was, uh, you know, doing his thing in NXT, but also, obviously everybody wants to be on the main roster, so I know it was on his mind as well. 
But when he started on the main roster and on his first night, you know, uh, basically earned the, the chance to, uh, you know, wrestle for the Universal title at SummerSlam, I thought, like, well, now he's making up for lost time. Just like I, I felt like I kind of was doing that as well. Uh, you know, it took me 15 years to get to WWE. Once I got here, I made up for lost time. Because in the two years that I've been here, I, I achieved and, and lived some things that, you know, it could, could have taken maybe 10 years for me to achieve otherwise. So I figured, like, Finn was in NXT for a while, but now he's here, and look, he's wrestling for the title at SummerSlam already. He's taken up for lost time as well. So I was very happy for him. But uh, I, I knew he had gotten hurt when it happened instantly. I, I, I just saw it. You know, as a performer, as a wrestler, you, you kind of see something that other people might not necessarily uh, notice. And I knew he was hurt. Um, so when he came to the back, I, I could see that something was wrong. Uh, and I was really hoping for the best, but obviously it, it didn't go that way. You know, he ended up needing surgery and uh, the title had to be vacated. And as upsetting as that was, I was really upset for him. I was very sad. He's my friend, and he deserved that moment so much. But I, and I you know, I've told him this before. I'd be lying if I wasn't a little excited, because not excited that he obviously all this awful thing happened to him. But I was excited that the chaos, you know, I remember Paul Heyman once said, uh, where there's chaos, there's opportunity. That's the truth. And I felt like this was my chance. Uh, when I heard, yes, yeah, Finn's relinquishing the title, I really felt like, all right, this is mine. It's got to be mine. And uh, I didn't know at the time at all that I would even be involved in the matches or anything. Or you know, I, Nobody told me that that was a plan. I just, in my head, thought, like, this has got to come to me. It's got to be my time. And sure enough, it, it ended up being the, like that. That ended up being the case next week. And, uh, you know, I, I won the title and then, Pretty incredible moment to share with a lot of people backstage, and you know, I called my wife, I called my parents. The next person I called was Finn, and uh, he was very happy for me, just like I, you know, I was happy for him when he got to win it. And obviously, uh, he's got unfinished business with that title; he didn't lose it. And uh, when he comes back, I, I'd be more than happy to get to compete with him uh, for that title, and, and you know, create some memories for the fans, but ourselves too, because. Like I said, if we went through all this, the first part of our WWE uh, journey together, uh, now it feels like we've kind of been separated a little because he's recovering from that injury, and I'm, I'm going through all this with the title. But once we come back together later, uh, I feel like there's a whole lot of other things that we can do together, and uh, it's going to be a, 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 you know incredible ride. So I'm really looking forward to him coming back. Uh, yeah, I, I, I am too. I think everybody listening to this probably is. Um, well, the Survivor Series is right around the corner. You're in the the kind of headlining Survivor Series match, and and you know as a as a wrestling fan as well as I do that you know back when when we were kids, the big Survivor Series matches that was that was the big deal. Uh, we've gone through a you know a period of time where they were oh, yeah. they were a little bit of a sideline to like the championship matches or whatever else. This year feels like a really important year just in the sense that you look at the roster, you look at the five versus five, you know, men's match at Survivor Series, and it really feels like WWE saying, these are our guys. Like, these are the, these are the, these are the ten fellows, the ten men to keep an eye on between now and WrestleMania and for the next couple of years. Um, do you feel like that's true? And if so, like, how does it feel to be a part of that sort of, that, that you know, that upper tier? Yeah, so first of all, I agree with you, like, I, one of the, the Survivor Series was one of the, the shows I looked forward to the most uh, growing up. That and you know the Rumble, WrestleMania, and King of the Ring. 
I love the thing that was in front of them. I, I hope they bring those back as well. But, uh, you know, eventually it looked like they had almost phased out the, uh, the elimination matches from Survivor Series, and I was pretty, I, I was pretty bummed out about that. Uh, I'm pretty thrilled to be part of one uh, this year because I, I didn't get to be part of it last year. You know, we had the tournament for the title last year. There wasn't, uh, I don't even know if there was any elimination matches last year. Uh, I know that I was in the tournament for the title. This year to be part of that, uh, that kind of match is very exciting. Uh, and, you know, on top of the fact that, like you said, it's a pretty big match. It's all the top, uh, you know, top key players on, on each brand uh, at the same place at the same time. Yeah, it's in Toronto, it's at the Air Canada Center, which is um, a place that I have wanted to wrestle for. I have wrestled in, you know, for, for, for many years. I, I remember seeing SummerSlam uh, many years ago there and, uh, you know, seeing Randy Orton win the WWE title. Uh, it's, you know, it, it, all of the, all of those uh, elements combined make for a really exciting night for me. And I know a lot of the guys, uh, you know, on the roster as well. And obviously there's, uh, you know, the, the competition between Ron Smackdown and that's very real. Uh, so it's definitely going to be interesting to see how everything comes out. Does it, I mean, I, this is, this is a question that I, you know, I feel like this gets overblown on the internet every day, but does it, do you guys, do you guys talk at all about the fact that Lesnar and Goldberg are, are you know, being put, being put up there as the headliners or any, while, while, you know, your, your match is, is just as important? Well, uh, no, because uh, we sold out that building. The tickets sold out in like two minutes, and Goldberg and Brock Lesnar weren't advertised for that show when the tickets sold out. Those tickets sold out because of Kevin Owens, AJ Styles, uh, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, Sami Zayn, Bruce as uh, Dean Ambrose, those guys. We're the guys who sold the tickets. Um, obviously, people are excited for Lesnar and Goldberg, and I understand why people would be excited for that. It is an exciting match. Uh, but the tickets were sold out before. You know, so I don't mind. I don't care where they end up on the show. If they're, you know, at last, if they go on last, if they're considered the main event, whatever. We all know what we're worth, and we all know uh, how talented we are as individuals, and uh, we all know what we can do. Um, so I, I, I'm really not bothered by it or giving any thoughts to it because, uh, you know, in the end, like I said, I know who sold the ticket. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned Roman Reigns. Uh, that, you know that there's rumors all over the internet that you're going to be fighting him at at Roadblock, the next pay per view. When you when when rumors like that leak out, do you do you say like you know come on dudes like you can do a better job of keeping it under wraps? Like does that affect? Does that go through your mind at all? No, because uh, a lot of times those rumors are not true anyway. I'm not saying that it's not true or or, or I didn't even ask anyone if that was true or false because uh, I don't think that that uh, that actually a, a set plan or something that was necessarily discussed. I, I've read things that were true. I've read things that were false. Uh, I'm not really concerned about how it gets out or why it gets out or who gets it out. Um, I'm concerned, uh, you know, whether or not I wrestle Roman Reigns at Roadblock remains to be seen. Uh, I don't really worry about anything I, uh, I like that. I worry about, you know, I, I take one day at a time. And, uh, you know, for now, uh, Survivor Series and Ross tonight, Survivor Series on Sunday, that's what I'm thinking about right now. 
Well, and then right around the corner, I mean, it, this has got to be a crazy time to be the Universal Champion because you got we t- we're already thinking about Roadblock now, and then right around the corner is the Royal Rumble. Right around the corner is WrestleMania. This interview I I, I got to mention is is uh, you you know you're sponsored by by WWE 2K17, the new the new uh, video game, which looks incredible. When you think about your WrestleMania dream matches, both with like the current roster guys that you want to get in there with, and then with like the giant roster of 2K17, what is it? What are what is like the the modern day and the like the wrestler from your childhood that you would love to wrestle? Well, so the wrestler from my childhood, if I could wrestle WrestleMania, would be Shawn Michaels, and I think pretty much everybody would answer that on the roster. Um, as far as uh, you know, somebody that could some, someone who I could actually possibly wrestle at WrestleMania, I've, I've answered this many times before, but I'd love to get in there with Brock Lesnar because uh, first of all, I think a lot of people want to see that match, whether it's out of curiosity or just out of the hopes that I get my head spin or, you know, um, I, I, I'd love to do it just because uh, I've honestly been a fan of Brock Lesnar for since the moment I saw him debut in Montreal on Raw all those years ago. I was there, and uh, it's a moment I, I still remember very fondly as a fan, you know, so to get in the ring with him would be a thrill just for that. And there's also, uh, you know, the question of uh, whether or not I could hang with him, whether or not I could, uh, you know, even ever get him off his feet. There's just uh, there's just a lot of very interesting things in that matchup that I'm I, I'd be uh, I'd be all for. Of course, doing it at WrestleMania that's the biggest stage you can do it at. You know, uh, I've been pretty vocal about it. Pretty much every interview I do, I kind of call him out, and uh, you know, I don't think he cares. I don't think he hears about the interviews. I didn't see that. I don't think he would care. Brock Lesnar does his own thing, and he's uh, you know he cares about Brock Lesnar, uh, and that's fine. I I would just be uh, thrilled to get to do it because uh, you know I get to say I wrestled Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. That's pretty. That's pretty much as big as it gets, you know. But there's so many guys I'd love to wrestle at WrestleMania. I think Sami Zayn and I have another one in us, uh, you know. Uh, and it, it seems like it would be logical for it to take place at WrestleMania. Uh, you know, Finn Balor, if he's back in time, would be a logical choice. Um, and you know, it, it, those are just a few options. Um, the most important part for me is just to be uh, a focal point of WrestleMania. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's an exciting time from here on, like from here to WrestleMania is always a pretty crazy ride, from, you know, Survivor Series to WrestleMania with the Rumble and everything else. So the next few months are, are, are pretty exciting. And, you know, now I get to do it all as a WWE Universal Champion. So it adds a level of excitement that wasn't there last year. Um, okay, I'm gonna just ask a couple of questions, and this isn't technically the speed round, but this is, but they're all over the place. So feel free to answer these quickly if you want to, you know, want to speed things up. I saw you mentioned you mentioned your uh, your one time uh, idol and and the guy you've wrestled a lot, Steve Carino. Earlier, I saw he was down at the Performance Center recently. They had some some video of him on uh, I think WWE's Twitter account. Um, is it still crazy when you see guys when you see you know people like Steve Carino down there teaching people how to te- people how to be better wrestlers? No, to me that makes sense completely. It's not crazy at all. Steve, I think Steve Carino belongs. He's done so much for me in my career and, and helped shape who I became as a performer. Uh, you know, I met him in two thousand, I think two thousand four. Uh, he kind of took me under his wing uh, at that time, brought me to Japan for the first time, stuff like that. And then we kind of, you know, drifted apart. But then when he came back to Ring of Honor, we picked things up right where we left off, and we've been very close ever since. 
And, uh, you know, I sent out a tweet earlier uh, about that video that you mentioned about him at the Performance Center, and I said he's one of the most influential people I've met in my career and one of the best guys all around that I've met in wrestling or in life, and I mean that. Uh, for me, uh, Steve Carino being at the Performance Center, uh, the performance center isn't crazy at all. It's, it's very logical. It makes complete sense to me, and I hope uh, I hope something comes out of the, the week he had there. I know he really enjoyed it, and from what I hear, everybody there, from the coaches to the, the yeah, I was at the performance center. I really enjoyed having him there too. Well, uh, you you said before that you know, I mean, you you studied under various people, but you ended up having to kind of teach yourself, re- relearn how to wrestle on the fly. You obviously spent a lot of time on the indies before you made it to the performance center. Um, even when they, when they bring in guys like Steve Carino, obviously this is a benefit to everybody there. But do you think do you think as good as the performance center is, the, people, the, the wrestlers still need to start off on the indies and spend some time and, and learn a variety of styles before they come to WWE? Do you think that's important? I mean, I think it's an advantage. You know, it's it's, it's something to have uh, in your back pocket. But the performance center uh, has uh, a pretty insane uh, variety of coaches that have you know, that almost specialize in different things. Like, you know, you've got Matt Bloom, who spent years in WWE and in Japan running the show. And you've got Terry Taylor, who worked the territories uh, for so many years. And you've got Robbie Brookside, who wrestled all over Europe. Uh, and you've got Norman Smiley, who was in Mexico. And, and you've got, you know, Sarah Del Rey, who, who you know, uh, is one of the best uh, female wrestlers that we've had uh, on the independence for many years. There's just... Literally, and I'm just naming those now, but there's so many more. Like now, Shawn Michaels goes yeah. to the performance center once in a while to help out. Like, there's really you could, in, you know, and they, I mean, they take, they do it all the time, right? They'll find athletes from another uh, sport and uh, shape them into professional wrestlers. The thing that's, that's like, in my opinion, the only thing that's necessary is the passion and love for, for wrestling. And I'm not saying that you have to have that right when you set foot in the performance center. Because I know for a fact that some guys, it's like, I remember uh, one specific uh, person, uh, not fine, he was an amateur wrestler out of Vancouver. He got signed, uh, and, you know, he, he was reluctant to sign at first because he just didn't know if it was for him or not. And I remember his first few weeks of the performance center, I guess he kind of felt comfortable talking to me because I was from Canada as well. He was telling me, he's like, I don't know if this is for me. And I said, well, you have to figure it out, you know. If you don't end up loving this, then there's no point in playing here. Uh, but if you do learn to love it, then you're going to probably learn to be good at it because you're an athlete, you're an amateur wrestler, and you have all the tools here to make you a good wrestler, a good professional wrestler. And he ended up learning to love it. He ended up developing a passion for it, and now he's, he's on NXT television and he's doing really good. So uh, I think the most important part is you have to love this. Uh, whether you're from outside or, or whether you've watched your whole life, you have to have a passion for this. And then whether or not you've been on the independence, there's enough resource in the performance center where you can become a, a really good professional wrestler, even if you didn't watch it for 20 years, or even if you didn't go through the independence. Uh, but if you don't love it, you're not going to make it. You know what I mean? It, 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 it's a hard thing to do. Uh, so if you don't love it, I don't see how, how it's possible to to make it here. It's too demanding. Uh, you have to dedicate yourself to it completely, and I think to be able to do that, you have to love it. All right, three more super quick ones, and we'll make, and I'll let you get out of here. One, these are these are questions from from staff members here at the Ringer who may have varying degrees of wrestling knowledge. One, 
Uh, do you really have to carry the title belt around with you everywhere you go when you travel? And are there any other funny uh, side like side effects or like you know byproducts of being the champion that you weren't expecting? Well, I do have to carry the title with me, but it's not have to carry. I want to carry the title. Uh, it's my title. It's, I'm very proud of that title, and I know uh, you know a lot of people like to rag on the fact that it's red. Uh, if you look at that title in person, it looks incredible, and I'm very proud of that title. So anybody who, uh, you know, AJ Styles even made some remarks last week on SmackDown about the title that I didn't take kindly to. Uh, I don't appreciate him saying those things about the title that I carry around with pride. Uh, you know, um, I could take shots at him right now, and I won't, because uh, he has no chance of a comeback. Uh, so... The thing is, I'm very proud of that title. I want to carry it around with me. So even if I didn't have to, I would. Uh, I remember the first night I won it, actually said you can leave the title here if you want because we have to, uh, I guess there was some sort of photo shoot that they needed to do. And I'm like, no, I want to take it with me. I'm like, okay, we'll just take the pictures next week then. And I did, you know. So uh, I took it with me and I, I, I take it with me. I carry it with me. It's my responsibility. I'm very proud of it. Uh, and I guess, uh, you know, one of the many perks of being a champion besides the fact that I realized my dream is, uh, you know, I get flown first class everywhere now, which is pretty neat. Uh, it's a nice little perk of being the champion. And uh, if anything, it just adds to one of the many reasons why I, I got to hold on to that title for as long as I can. <laughs> All right, really quickly, describe describe Chris your, Chris Jericho in real life. Like, you know, do it in three words if you can. I can't do it in three words, but I will say it's pretty close to what you see on television. Uh, he's pretty eccentric. He's pretty wild. He's pretty funny, uh, and uh, it's been a blast to be around him in and out of the ring these past few months. He's something I looked up to for many years, and to get to share the ring with him and to get to share the locker room with him, uh, or the bus, or the plane, you know, because he was with us on this whole tour. Uh, It's been a really, uh, really cool experience. All right, last question. What do you do? Raw, Raw is, you know, as everybody knows, three hours long. Sometimes you're on the very beginning and the very end. What do you do in between segments on Monday Night Raw? Um, I watch every show I can uh, as much as I can, whether it's a live event or a Raw or a pay-per-view. Um, if I'm not getting ready for my own thing, I'm usually uh, sitting and watching and observing what other people are doing. And uh, that I think that comes along with being a fan because I'm such a huge fan. Uh, I'm a fan of what other people do. Uh, and I, I have no... Uh, I have no problem taking myself out of the equation. And, you know, when I'm sitting at Gorilla, even though I'm in Gorilla and I'm, you know, but right by Vince McMahon who's running the whole show, I have no problem losing myself in what I'm seeing and seeing it from a fan's perspective. You know, I know in a couple of hours or in a couple of minutes I have to go out there and perform myself, you know. Uh, I'll never lose that, that aspect of who I am. I'll, I'll always be a fan. So uh, if I'm not uh, performing, I'm usually watching. Wow. Well, I mean, and that, I think that's that says that's all there is to say about why you've uh, made it as far as you have. And at, at the expense of sounding like a like a sappy fanboy, I'm a huge fan of yours, Kevin Owens. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks a lot for having me, man. Thanks to WWE 2K17 for setting it up. You got to go out and buy the game as soon as you can. Uh, and you know, WWE, you heard your champion. Bring back King of the Ring. I'll see you later on, humanoids.